Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. Those brands that have built up goodwill and trust are going to thrive in 2021. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It's a great pleasure today to welcome a very longtime friend. John, your role as president of Applebee's Grill and Bar started in 2017, I think, although you've had you've had a couple of runs at Applebee's over the years. John, you've had such an interesting career, primarily focused in the food industry and in the restaurant industry. When I did meet you first at Disney, my recollection is you'd come from Burger King and uh, you were quite the whopper. Because you were one of those, boy, this is interesting. You're taking a quick service restaurant marketer and putting that person in charge of theatrical marketing. And it was an interesting career change for you back then. And then, of course, reverting back to primarily being in the restaurant business for the last 20 plus years again. So give mm-hmm. us a little bit of that journey. How did that all come together? Sure, Michael. I uh, So I, I started my business, uh, not unlike you. Uh, in the advertising industry with Leo Burnett Advertising in Chicago. Uh, This is way back when, in the 80s, and um, got the restaurant bug uh, by virtue of working on the McDonald's business, the national McDonald's business headquartered in in suburban Chicago, Oak Brook. And from there, uh, proceeded to move to the client side with PepsiCo and KFC and uh, and then got to know the Walt Disney Company quite well uh, while I was at Burger King. Uh, ended up with my one stint outside of the restaurant industry out in Burbank with, uh, with Disney. It's where you and I met in 1996, I believe it was. Holy schmanoli. Yeah. And then um, ended up after, uh, after my time at Disney leaving to go back to Chicago uh, and work for McDonald's leading brand strategy and um, for the U.S. business. And then from there, uh, worked with uh, my first stint with Applebee's. Uh, I then went to, um, uh, to run the U.S. business as president for KFC uh, with Yum Brands in Louisville, Kentucky. Somewhere in the middle of that, I was an entrepreneur like you, uh, I was a franchisee for Dunkin' Donuts and Sonic in Chicago, and after about four years, decided to jump back into the corporate world, and that's what led me to Yum. And then eventually, uh, after running the U.S. business for KFC, uh, the folks here at uh, at Dine Brands, which owns both Applebee's and IHOP, asked me to come back. Uh, the board asked me to come back and lead the U.S. business for Applebee's. That was an early 2017. That's when you and I connected with one another, reconnected, and uh, and I've been doing that ever since. And we, um, this is our 40th anniversary. Who would have ever thought that uh, Applebee's, which was founded in 1980, would be celebrating its 40th in the middle of a pandemic? But Here that's our are. reality, right? Here we are. 
So, John, that brings me to the question that's, of course, on everyone's mind in the restaurant industry. It's one of the industries most impacted by COVID, an industry that's had to change its entire, in many geographic locations, entire way of doing business to take out or outside and, you know, finding that level. So I have two questions. How has that impacted the Applebee's brand in general? And I know we could spend, you know, days on that. And then secondly, right at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw all of the advertising switch. And particularly, I've used quick service, as I said, as an example. Quick service Mm -hmm. restaurants traditionally would show beauty shots of food. At the beginning of the pandemic, what we saw was beauty shots of the frontline workers. Not only Mm -hmm. our important medical and protection and everything that comes along with that characterization of first-line workers, but those in the food service business became truly first-line workers. People have to eat. And that focus seemed to be on that. And I know you took kind of a hiatus in marketing for a period relative to the early steps here. Can we talk about those two things? And now I've seen more traditional of late Applebee spots with great music. You always pick great music, John. So I'd love to know how that plays into your marketing strategy. Love it, Michael. Love the fact that that our work is uh, connecting with you. This is a, I'll go back to March, um, middle of March, when this impacted everyone. Um, We were rocking and rolling. We were up 3.2% through the middle of March on top of, you know, strong growth from Q1 of of the prior year uh, in 19. And um, when the pandemic hit, we were in essence, forced to close our dining rooms. And Applebee's has 1,600, about 1,600 restaurants across the country. 85% of our business is dine-in, sit-down dine-in business. And what's the mix, John, of franchisee to company ownership in that 1,600? Yeah, great question, Michael. Uh, We own 69 uh, of our 1,600 restaurants. So we're 98%, 97, 98% franchised pretty unique business model uh, in that we only have 30 franchisees who own almost 1,600 restaurants. You know, for contrast with McDonald's, I had 3,000 franchisees. With KFC, I had 650. So a unique business model that um, immediately overnight literally became an off-premise business, as was the case for all of our competitors. So uh, when you think about and you compare uh, quick service restaurants, QSR, McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King, with casual dining business, the um, the shutdown really didn't impact those QSR brands in the same way. They That guest, for the most part, 80% of them are moving through the drive-through anyway. And so you can satisfy that demand. The consumer uh, can take that, that meal to go. But for, for those restaurants like ours that are you know, that were 85% dine-in, we became an off-premise business and our business uh, more than doubled. So we're now 30-ish percent off-premise, 20% Applebee's to go, meaning you come in and you pick it up and you take it home. Uh, And 10% of that now being delivery. And um, and that was our business mode. The off-premise to go and delivery business is all we had in March and April and May until some of these geographies began to open up again. And as you know, 
the complexity here is there are 50 states and every state and local municipality has its own capacity constraints in the middle of this pandemic. Some uh, still don't allow you know, indoor dining. Some have a 25% capacity constraint. Some are now completely open. So that created complexity. The, to answer your first question, when this first hit, we felt it was inappropriate to market the brand. And we're a pretty sizable national marketer for casual dining. We spend $140 million a year. Uh, and so from mid-March until probably just before the 4th of July, we chose to go off air. We went on a national marketing hiatus, did not want to uh, promote the brand. Instead, we were focused on restaurant execution. We narrowed our menu. Of course, we were, our franchisees were required to furlough a lot of their team members. Uh, when your business goes from, um, from very strong sales at the start of the year to minus 80% uh, in March, April. Now, I'll tell you, Michael, we have, to give you some sense of momentum and progression, at the, uh, at the peak of this, when it hit in late March, we were down 80%. Uh, and then most recently, I just reported our Q3 results. Uh, we were down 13.3%. And then I also reported uh, October, uh, our most recent month, and we were down 1.9%. So it's a remarkable seven, almost eight month journey. Feels like, as I'm sure it does for you, feels like seven or eight years, honestly. And there, you know, as you know, because you know, we had to partner with uh, with our agencies, our media agency, our advertising agency, our, our public relations agent, all of our partners to exit these commitments that we had. And, uh, and there was no playbook. I mean, we literally woke up in the middle of March uh, having to uh, kind of Apollo 13 the whole thing, right? You know, to use uh, an old Tom Hanks expression, we, um, we've done so successfully, but it has been um, a series of obstacles and headwinds and complexities that I, I've never seen in my professional career. Well, John, it's interesting. We we identified two words that were, you know, the most important words that marketers were focused on in the early times you're referring to in the spring, and that was flexibility and uncertainty. We all were suffering from uncertainty, and we all demanded required the maximum flexibility from our partners. And your point about, you know, commitments in the marketplace for marketing spend, I've always been a believer that a person's word is their word, but there are circumstances that don't necessarily allow you to go back on your word, but there are times you have to actually change what your commitment was relative to circumstances beyond your control. And so from that perspective, we found that the longer term strategy seemed to work with the publishers, the, you know, the networks, the, mm -hmm. the media sellers, they understood they were in a similar mode. And many of them are both buyers and sellers. So if you're dealing with the yeah. large, you know, the, the Comcast NBCs and the Disney's and the Viacom CBS's, et cetera, you know, you're dealing with people who are also in your position. Many of them have obviously movie companies and things of that sort where they had to pull back their advertising. You well, know that from both sides of the equation. And I guess what I heard you say is the partners were allowing that flexibility within reason. 
It was, uh, I'll tell you, the, the goodwill established by the content providers, the media companies, certainly our agency partners was tremendous. I won't, I won't forget it. You know, they took a leap of faith because we said, we're coming back and we'll make good on our financial commitments. And in the middle of June, we felt it was appropriate to begin messaging and begin marketing again. We did so um, with a very targeted kind of off-premise message, which was relevant for everyone, whether they were shut down or not. And then post 4th of July, we chose a couple of pieces of music. And as you referenced, we're music-based. We love to make our guests smile and we love to make them hungry. That's really kind of our formula to Applebee's. And, you know, we are, we are to casual dining what I think McDonald's is to QSR. But we chose, uh, and you and I can relate to this. I don't know if all of your audience can. Welcome back, Cotter, if you remember that great song, right? Abe Kaplan and Vinnie Barbarino and John Travolta. But I remember uh, it for a different reason, John. I remember it because when I had a mustache in another period of time and curly hair, a lot of people would tell me I reminded them of Gabe Cotter. So I remember I re Gabe Kaplan. So I remember Welcome Back, Cotter, for a whole different reason. But I'll have to send you one of those old pictures and you'll see it. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll reciprocate. I'll send you one for me. Didn't have the, the big hair and the mustache. I had the big hair and the stash, buddy. Yeah, would love to see it. So we, we took, you know, we felt that was the most appropriate way to invite America back to Applebee's without being overly promotional, without deeply discounting. We were just trying to say, hey, and, and throughout that, talking about safety being our, uh, and sanitation being our top priority. And then we segued from kind of that welcome back message to, uh, we took that you know, theme song from Cheers. Uh, sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name. Amen. And uh, so I'm moving through time here, right from the 70s to the 80s or whenever Cheers was, maybe the early 90s. And that combination in July and August, uh, those two pieces of music with mouthwatering food photography and very appropriate tonality on, on talking to America, I, we received so much favorable feedback from our guests from America. And I think we... we went about that the right way. And then slowly but surely in September and October, we're back to where we were in terms of national marketing, full engagement with each of our agencies um, and in full on marketing, promotion, value, appetite appeal. And as I said, we're, we're not quite positive, but we actually had our first week of positive sales at the end of September. Listen, flat is the new up for many of us and john i continue to tell our teams and you know our partners everything we do these days has to be in context in context of where we are by the way life needs to be in context there's times you want to go outside of the context but in these kinds of conversations i'll say two things number one it sounds like your winning formula actually was winning to be able to get back to either a positive year over year or flat or you know plus or minus two percent certainly a margin for error in any e equation that's a good story mm -hmm. and that means you're your consumer base, your your clients, your customers felt the message was right. And I know you personally as a marketer and as a leader have talked about truth and trust. I think what you established with your consumer base is trust and you told the truth and you had that tonality and it obviously is translated. Michael, I think the, you know, when 
when you think back on these seven months, the, the currency that's most valuable in America is the one you referenced, it's trust. And you're a brand guy, I'm a brand guy. Those brands that have built up goodwill and trust are gonna thrive in 2021. I really believe that. I believe 2021 is gonna be a terrific year. There are 600, almost 700,000 restaurants in America. I mean, that's mind boggling. Uh, and restaurant development has outstripped population growth for the past probably 20 years. So there'll be, um, there'll likely be winners and losers here. I don't wish that upon anyone. We want all of our competitors and uh, certainly all independent restaurant operators to come out of this well. But this has been, this has been a brutal seven months. We are, we are fortunate at Applebee's and I'd say uh, with IHOP as well at Applebee's, we've, we, since we went back on air, Michael, we've outperformed casual dining for 17 consecutive weeks. And we go to a, a, um, uh, a syndicated source called Black Box Intelligence, and they can, um, they can track our performance relative to about 65 other brands. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I, I'm not sure those brands with trust and goodwill and scale and infrastructure um, I believe will do well. Others may be more vulnerable. And so that's going to be an interesting story as it unfolds in 2021. John, you're in a business, a frontline business, obviously. And, you know, we think of it now more than we ever did like that. One of the big issues we are all dealing with in talent is the diversity and inclusiveness that we need to see play out in the real world. Are you attacking that from the corporate level or is that managed on the franchisee level? Both, Michael. It's a, um, it's a great question. We, um, we're about, we're, we're a cross-section of America. So, so if you step into any of our restaurants across the country, you'll see that diversity of age, gender, ethnicity. It's important that we have that not only within our restaurant organizations, but within our corporate uh, structure and as well as our franchisee organizations. We we retained uh, Corn Ferry probably two years ago, and we started the uh, very formal um, training. I'm not even sure if training is the right word, but awareness discussions around unconscious bias, and uh, that that is so prevalent uh, across America. But certainly, even you know those interactions between team members, servers, and guests in the restaurant. You know that we you oftentimes run into challenges because of perceptions or unconscious bias. So that was a very overt undertaking on our part, very important to us, not just corporately, but within our franchise community. And our 30 partners really adopted that and uh, have embraced it. And, you know, while we're not perfect by any stretch, I think we're, we're pretty good. And there tends to be yeah, reasonably high turnover in, as you know, in the restaurant industry. So this is not a, you know, one year or two year focus. So this is an annual part of our culture right now. And, uh, you know, we just, we love our business to represent the communities in which we operate. And, and that's a mission for us and an objective. And we do that pretty well. I'm very proud of the team's work on that front. 
that's impressive that you were ahead of the curve there and appreciated for sure. John, let me ask you one final question. As we look at the geographic footprint that Applebee's has around the country, you're in, I think, every state. You're in yes. 50 states. Obviously, different parts of the country have been impacted differently by the pandemic and the fallout from it, really. How are you seeing it geographically? Is it really lined up? You know, your revenue, the good news on revenue, is it coming from the areas that are opened up? I'm guessing that's probably part of it. But California, we're still not uh, having in restaurant dining in most counties, whereas in other states you are maybe limited you know, percentages, but here you're still outdoors. How is that impacting, you know, California versus, you know, pick a state where you can have 25% or so capacity indoors? It's a, it's a great question. It's a, there's a lot of variability. So you spend as much time in New York as you do in, in Southern California. Generally, so, generally you know, not, not have, recently, but generally, yes. Yeah. Uh, you've got two geographies that are meaningful that are effectively heavily constrained, uh, if not shut down. And so we saw some of the most entrepreneurial uh, initiative around outdoor seating, you know, fundamentally across the country. We really didn't have a lot of outdoor seating, but I can tell you, and when, when uh, we were forced into an off-premise mode, uh, those constraints, those government constraints on capacity exist for dining rooms only. If you go outside, you have no constraints. So our guys and our ladies and gentlemen who, who operate these restaurants sought permits and creative seating, and it's really quite remarkable. Now we're getting into colder weather in some of those northerly ge uh, geographies, so um, that might be a bit of a constraint, but that's being offset by what we're seeing outside of places like New York and California where government restrictions are easing. As a matter of fact, I think 20 plus states now have no restrictions, uh, but I'm, I'm reluctant to forecast because who knows? This is, I'll tell you what I do know, because I get asked this question a lot, is, um, you know, will America want to dine in again? And what I see is an extraordinary desire, hunger, if you will, to dine out. Uh, at Applebee's and I'm certain dine other brands, out and dine in, dine out and yeah, dine in. It's a, um, and for me, I believe a big part of that, Michael, is America has been isolated um, and quarantined, if you will, at home for so long that they're hungry to connect with one another in a different environment over a meal and a drink. I mean, really important, like the, the alcohol component is important. And so, what I'm finding right now is that little five-minute drive around the corner to Applebee's to connect um, eyeball to eyeball without a cell phone, you know, put the cell phone down over a meal, that human connection. That's really what we do. If you were to ask me what's our purpose, our purpose is to connect human beings over a great meal. And we facilitate that. That's what we do. And, and, and I think the demand for that moving forward is going to be greater than ever. People want to connect somewhere other than in their homes. And the good news is now that 30% of our business is also off premise, you can dine in or you can pick it up and take it to go. And a pinch of good music. And that's a good Applebee's experience, you know, sharing a good meal with friends and family and, you know, a toast to good health is something I long for, certainly. 
John, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I want to thank you for sharing some of your experience and some of the you know, real experience that you've gotten on the job right now. None of us were trained for what we're dealing with right now. And, and the fact that you've risen to the occasion so elegantly is not only reflected in how the business is doing, but just in who you are as an executive as a, and more importantly, as a person. So John Sawinski, I want to thank you uh, for joining me on Good Company today. Michael, it is, uh, it is always my pleasure. I'm Michael Kasson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich. 